Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-616-4080. That's 800-616-4080. 800-616-4080. This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. Welcome into the MMA Insiders podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd and... This week, my special guest co-host is a fighter in the UFC, a fighter that you may know more about his what he's been vocal about recently. That is Cajun Johnson. Cajun, man, I appreciate the time. How are things going, man? Uh, things are going good, dude. Just uh, on my break here at the gym, waiting for the next classes to start, trying to get some stuff done for our inspection, you know? I remember the... I remember last time we talked to you, your gym was just opening an affiliate of TriStar. That was back in August. So what's uh, what's it been like being a gym owner? Uh, really busy. <laughs> it's it's awesome, though. Like, it's super fulfilling. Um, it's really cool to have uh, a lot of control over how how classes are run and and really building athletes from the ground up like we've got we've got a pretty pretty decent kids program running now so I'm 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 starting to train the champions when they're like 5 years old right so it's it's really amazing it's a, it's a great experience it's been some time since we have uh, seen you inside the UFC cage and we'll put it out there you are still under contract with the UFC uh, I know you've had various things going on. I remember when we talked last, you said, man, I'd love to be fighting in Vancouver. That has not been happening. You know, so what else has been going on with you uh, in this time to where you've been recovering from some things and, and besides get, opening up the gym? Uh, yeah, there's always lots going on, you know. Like I'm constantly trying to uh, bring my body back to a state where it's able to get back into competition really fighting against retirement everybody's asking me if i'm retired i'm not retired but um my body might want me to retire i don't know yet so uh i'm really really trying not to i'm doing everything i can i'm on my rehab i'm i'm in performax health group all the time getting worked on um just trying to trying to get back to health um and I'm, I'm doing a couple other things always. Like, I'm always training fighters. Uh, we've got a couple guys fighting this weekend on Saturday. Um, two titles, actually. We've got Jamie Siraj, who's fighting, uh, who's defending his 135-pound belt for Battlefield. And we've also got Ali Wasak, who's, who's defending his amateur 145-pound belt 
uh, for Battlefield as well. So well, really, really busy around here, busy in the gym. We're still building and and um, and fi- finishing up every, our last touches here for the inspection coming up and running all the classes. And uh, my other partners right now are in the background working right now. So, um, yeah, things are things are moving ahead. Um, I've been also doing some work with the, uh, the MMAFA, uh, trying to help to push the Ali Act through Congress and uh, and and get that done so that so that it can be adapted to M- to fit MMA as well uh, and not just boxing. Um, and I also have recently been talking with the PFA um, on what their goals are, what their plans are, what what their vision is in moving forward to getting more of a, a an even playing field for for the fighters within UFC and all fighters in general. Uh, there's so much you brought up there. Obviously, we want to talk about the MAFA, PFA, because you've been very uh, outspoken. Uh, it's only, I believe, you and Leslie Smith are, are the only active UFC fighters that have openly come out in support of the MAFA and, of course, what the PFA is doing. But you mentioned uh, Jamie Siraj. We actually got a question uh, from James Lynch asking about about him. And uh, do you think he's uh, he's close to a, a potential offer so, to say like a promotion, uh, you know, say the UFC here in the near future? Uh, it's possible. His, his record isn't um, – it may not be big enough yet, but I've seen them sign guys with like – they were trying to sign Chris Anderson out of BFL as well – and he turned it down from what I hear. Um, but he's only four and oh, Jamie's three and one. So it's possible. Um, but I think they, they'll probably start looking at him once he gets to like five and one. I think then that's, that's when we're, we're going to get a call or at least we'll be on their radar. There will, they'll be watching us, but it's a matter of time with that kid, man. It really is. He's, he's the most, um, driven athlete that I've ever met. There's nothing that will stop that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, from training, I actually have to like almost physically restrain him to stop him from training. He's the, he's not the guy that you have to push. You never have to push him. Like way back when he was 14 years old, um, he would run like six, seven k to come to the gym, and then he would do like three classes, four classes back to back, and then he would run another six, seven k home. So he's just continued that work output, and it's like seven, eight years later now, and uh, and he's it's really starting to show all the work that he was putting in when people were still worried about like grade nine high school dances. He was in the gym grinding, and it's really starting to show now. You know, he's really, really uh, getting all the benefits. His technique level is so high, dude. Um, in comparison to the other uh, to the other local athletes around this area, and even the on the national level, it's he's he's at he's at the peak. Like there's nobody uh, there's nobody at his weight uh, that is better than him technically. Um, it's just continuing that experience, continuing to get that experience and more ring time and more hours, so that he's even calmer and we we uh, we hone his recipe even better and and. Um, and yeah, it's just a, just a matter of time, and then we'll get the call, and he'll go in, and he'll he'll do extremely well. If he went into the UFC today, he would do very very well in the UFC. But I I would rather that he held back for another two three fights, um, got some more ring time under his belt, and then if somebody calls us, then I'd, I'd definitely be open to it. 
There's uh, several things I want to get to of stuff you said there. Uh, of course, coming up here on this podcast, uh, other topics we're going to talk about, USADA. I don't know if you happen to see the Jake Ellenberger tweet uh, here Don't. on Thursday where he uh, decided to uh, – USADA knocked on his door at 5.45 a.m. Oh, wow. He, de- wow. he decided to uh, show him a gun at that, that point. Which that's it, it's, awesome. But to me, it's like I, I don't – and I'm sure – I don't know if this has happened to you, but I'm sure it's probably in, in the community you've heard about. I don't understand why USADA has to show up. At six o'clock in the morning, like why can't you? Yeah. Just, I, I remember talking to uh, cool. to Bilal Muhammad, who's who's now in the UFC, and, and he was. T- and this was a couple months ago, and he was telling me that he uh, they woke him up like you know six a.m. You know he does a test, whatnot. So he goes to the gym like three hours later, and he sees the same exact tester at the gym. He goes up to the guy that he goes, "Dude, you couldn't wait like three hours and let me sleep." That's crazy. I mean, it's just, but we'll talk about that. Also got to talk about the state of Canadian MMA, not just from the pro side, but also uh, from the amateur side. But there's something that you you mentioned there. You're talking about your body and and retirement. And, you know, and a lot of my listeners, they know that, uh, you know, along with covering MMA, I also work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Radio Network. And and a couple, you know, and and I've been doing this uh, since 2004. And I remember, and, and I've always talked about this story, but, there was, and I never named the player because I, I don't know if he wants his name out there. But I remember we were having a conversation, and uh, we were we were watching television, and something came up on the TV about a player uh, calling it a career. And so we started talking about retirement, and, and I said, "I go, at what point will you know the time is to walk away?" And he said to me, "He goes, look, my body's going to tell me. He goes, I'm not going to be that guy that hangs around. But in MMA, it, it seems like we see more and more fighters that." Ultimately, it's a promoter who has to say, okay, it's time for your attire. Where is your thought process coming at? I mean, obviously, you, you know, the way uh, a lot of guys make money is by fighting. But, you know, you, you mentioned about maybe your body is, is trying to tell you some signs. How do you make that decision? Because obviously you want to compete, but but you want to go out on your own terms. Yeah, I'm just I'm not I'm not willing to give up my brain. That's what it boils down to for me. Is I'm going to need my brain in order to uh, to to achieve the rest of my goals. Cause I have a lot of goals other than fighting. So it comes down to my brain. If my body is able to support um, support a training camp and able to go in and and scrap and get be able to get to a fight healthy, then I will continue to fight. Um, but if it is not able to do so, I'm not willing to go in, um, to go in injured, to go in, uh, less than 80, 90% and go fight because it's just too dangerous for my brain. Um, I, I've been this 15 years already. I'm, I'm, I, I've been knocked out consecutively, uh, on, on a couple occasions. Um, and I'm not, I'm not willing to allow my brain to degenerate to a rate where I'm slurring my words, I'm stuttering, I'm not able to put together full sentences, I, rem- I can't remember anything, dementia sets in, CTE, all these other things, and I'm just not willing to be that guy. I will not be that guy. So as long as my, my body from the neck down is able to support uh, a training camp, is able to, to get through a training camp and even start a training camp from a healthy place, um, then I'll continue to fight uh, unless I went out and I fought and I took a whole bunch of a whole bunch of hits to the head. Um, 
pretty much if my brain is getting is, is if my brain is in danger, I'm not gonna fight. It's not worth it to me anymore. I can't do it. Have the only ever- real reasons I'm fighting still, um, the main reasons are number one to make sure that the techniques that I've been creating, that the theories that I've that I've been working on for these past couple years, um, to to test those and to make sure that they're real before I start giving them to the next generation before I start preaching the go- this gospel to the next generation I need to make sure that it's real first right mm-hmm. so a lot most of my style has already been tested multiple times but there's a few areas that I've never seen anybody really do or very very few people have have I ever seen uh, attempt these things these positions these these stances so I need to go and make sure that they're real uh, and then I could, I would be happy walking away uh, after I know that they're real. Also, I know that uh, that my voice is much louder when I'm signed with the UFC, and it's always been a goal of mine to make sure that this this sport is sustainable for the next generation. I don't want the next generation to have to go through what I've gone through in this in this career. I can't really sell that to kids. I can't really sell this dream to my students if. The only things that they're going to get is debt and uh, debt and injuries out of it and brain damage. I can't sell that. I'm not going to push that on people. So, I need to. We need a union. We need a. We need an association, and we need to make money. We need to. We need to be compensated for for our efforts, for our work, for everything we're doing. We need our cut, and we're not getting our cut. So I'm doing what I need to do. I need to be within the UFC in order to help change it. It's hard to change it from the outside, but from the inside, my voice is much louder. Even being one of the lesser-known fighters, I've only got three fights, and they're they're all spaced apart because I keep getting injured all the time. Um, and a lot of them are in Asia, so most people don't even watch. Um, so I'm not well-known for, for my fighting, but still I have a much bigger voice within the UFC mm-hmm than if I was if I was to walk away and still try to achieve these goals of, of attempting to, to get a union together to get uh, all the fighters to to unite and have one voice to speak with. Um, so that's another reason why I continue to fight. And it's pretty much those two reasons that keep me at it, those two reasons that keep me going. And so I need to continue um, to continue to do what I need to do in order to make my body from the neck down um, operational. Uh, so that I can go in and I can do what I need to do. You know, I, I remember uh, listening to an interview that uh, Malky Kawa, the, the manager, uh, John Jones, and, and a lot of other fighters, and one of the man, uh, fighters he manages is Carlos Condon. I remember he was doing an interview, I, I don't know, three, four, five months ago, where he talked about Carlos was uh, routinely going in and getting his brain scanned. Is that something you have done, or or if you haven't got it done, are you scared to get it done? I have gotten it done uh, a couple different times, but usually it's con- coinciding with like a knockout loss or something like that, um, where they will go in and do brain scans and make sure everything's okay. And everything's not okay. Uh, I've definitely got a buildup of scar tissue on my brain from uh, past concussions, which I've, I can already I can already tell that it is definitely affecting me somewhat. Um, my memory is not good. It is not good. I have very diff- uh, uh, a huge difficulty uh, remembering names. I stumble on words more. I search for words more than I used to. And I'm trying to take as many steps as I can now to regenerate my brain, to create some neurogenesis, um, specifically in my hippocampus, uh, which is, I think, the only place that, it actually, that neurogenesis is actually 
been proven to work, uh, which is the main one of the main centers for for memory within the brain. Um, so I'm really trying to do what I can now in order to to start trying to regrow some of these brain cells that I've lost, so I don't end up um, a grandfather unable to remember uh, his grandkids' names. You know. You know, and obviously, I definitely wanted to talk about what's going on with the MAFA, also the PFA. And I noticed a tweet you recently had where you wrote, "If you won't stick your neck out for a change, don't worry, I will." Hashtag MMAFA, hashtag PFA, hashtag Unite. You know, I think for a long time, someone in in my position as a reporter. You know, we'd always kind of, you know, we would talk with each other and go, at what point will fighters maybe start speaking their mind and start talking about fighter uh, promotional issues? You know, and we've seen it, you know, over the past couple months, it's really, uh, you're seeing many more fighters uh, besides yourself come out and, and step up. Is it? Is it one particular thing that you think, and maybe you can just speak for yourself, you can't speak for other fighters, that was it one thing that said, you know what, I just can't sit back anymore, or was it just one of those things of it was just one thing after another? I mean, I think a lot of us, we tend to point, um, I think the three things that we point to is uh, the Reebok deal, we point to Yashada, and then yeah. I think the biggest one was when the UFC was sold for $4 billion. I think that that is what seems to maybe woken up a, a lot of fighters as well. For you, in your situation, what was the point when you realized, like, something's got to change here? I've known for as long as I can really remember, and my memory is the greatest, that being said, but um, I've known for – a long, long time that something needed to change. It's been a goal of mine since long before I was signed by the UFC. So a minimum of seven, eight years, I've been, I've had the idea that I was, when it was my turn to get into that spotlight, that I was going to do what I needed to do in order to make a union happen. Um, I thought I was going to be able to get uh, UFC belt first because that, that's a little bit of security um, from the way I look at it. If I have a belt, they can't just, like, fire me because uh, I'm a title holder now. Like, uh, my voice is very, very big at that point. But um, I wasn't able I – I had a number of injuries that happened. And it, I, it made me realize that, you know, you never – the future is not set. And if I don't speak now, I may not get a chance to. You never know what may happen in these next next couple of years, these next couple of fights. If I don't start speaking up now, I may never get a chance to. So I just said, I threw caution to the wind and just started being vocal and started speaking my truth, started making music videos about it. Um, and yeah, here we are. Uh, a lot of other fighters have definitely started coming forward. I, you're right in that the Reebok deal was a huge wake-up call for everybody. Um, uh, also, the... The, the biggest catalyst was definitely the sale for $4.2 billion. Like, that's huge. It, it put some real hard numbers on the worth of the roster because that's all they're really buying is the roster and the, and the staff. You know, that's all they're really buying. So it shows how much, how much we're actually worth and nobody's getting it. Like, the only people that are actually getting paid what they're worth are, like, the very few that are at the top, the George St. Pierre's, the... The Conor McGregor's and a lot of people think that that's what we need for change is that as soon as the 
this is what we've been sold throughout society, throughout pretty much every industry, is when the people at the top gets pay, get paid, the trickle-down effect will happen, and that, will, that money will trickle down, and eventually it will affect the bottom line. But um, history kind of speaks to the opposite. That's not really the case. That doesn't actually, that's not actually how it works. Uh, the only way to raise the bottom line is to fight for the bottom line, and there's not very many people doing it. But no, no better person than me. I've got, I've got a lot of talents with speaking and music, and I've got a decent, a decent voice, a decent presence, and I'm on the bottom line. I'm living it. Uh, I have a whole number of struggles that I could easily, um, easily outline for for anybody that wanted to, uh, that that wanted to argue my point, and. I just, I just, I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to do it. So I just started, I just started speaking, man. And, um, and things are changing. We're gaining some momentum. Uh, I actually spoke with the PFA very recently. I spoke with them a couple days ago um, because the PFA and the MMAFA are kind of at odds. Like the MMAFA doesn't want to work with the PFA. The PFA is down to work with the MMAFA, but they kind of have different approaches and Apparently they don't work well together, but I'm not, I'm not a huge believer in the fact that they don't work well together. I think it would work awesome together. I think that we should have a union within the UFC, just like the MLB has a union, just like the NBA has a union, just like the NHL has a union. And then I think we should have an association of all fighters all, aclo- all across the globe throughout all organizations, and that would be the MMAFA, so that we have a collective voice for all fighters signed by anybody and then each organization ufc bellator one fc world series they should all have unions as well it only makes sense to me you know uh you know i've been very vocal about the mmafa and the pfa and uh, i know when we were setting this up you you had told me said hey i'm gonna be talking to pfa here shortly and, and i'll get your thoughts i mean you know the one thing about the ali act you know, part of it's going to be you know here in the united states is what's going to happen with the election? Who is the president? And you know, yeah. and obviously the UFC owners, you know, have a, uh, you know, they have a lot of money to spend towards lobbying, whatnot. And you know, one totally. of the things plus Dana White is like best friends with Donald Trump. No yeah, surprise I mean, there. Yeah, I mean, and who who knows who's who's going to win the election? I mean, yeah, totally. You know, but you know, one of the things I've said about the Ali Act, and this kind of goes in a lot of you know. I always try to reach out to various people throughout the the or you know the the industry and say what what do you think about this what do you think about that and then kind of formulate my own opinion. And, and the one of the things that I've always you know the the sentiment that I get more often than not about the Ali Act is it's a potential step in the right direction, but it's not the complete answer. You know, no, exactly. You know, and one of the things that people will point to is boxing and say you know. You know what's it done for boxing? I mean, look, I'm all about whatever can can raise fighter pay. I'm all for. I'm, I'm pro fighter. I, I want to see you guys make um, the absolute most money you can. I just I think there's a lot of hurdles to potentially get in the Ali Act, and I, I just don't know if there's just going to be enough support in Washington D.C. for it to happen. Yeah, I re- because I'm Canadian. I don't know too too much about American politics right now. It just seems like a reality show over there. So. I, I don't pay too much attention. You know, you know what's um, amazing to me, Cajun, is how many people yeah. outside the United States, like when there was a debate going on, were hitting me up going, hey, man, you got a link. I want to watch this. I'm going, oh, man, I can only imagine what people outside the United States are thinking when they're watching uh, this. It's really difficult to watch for me. I have I, I can't even believe it's actually happening. I can't believe it's actually real. It's like a movie. It's insane. 
If you, had, if you, if you had told me three years ago Donald Trump would legitimately be running for president, I would have called you crazy. Yeah, for sure. Anybody would. Just crazy. It, it's 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 such a weird time, but you know it, it's but it's one of those things of you know. It, you know, uh, Senator Reed of Nevada has always had a, a very tight relationship with uh, Lorenzo Fertitta and Dana White, and, and that was obviously one of the potential uh, issues with with the Ali acting back in there. You know, for you in your dealings with the MAFA, how optimistic are you that this could happen? Um, I'm very optimistic that it's 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 possible. I believe that everything is possible, and I'm and. But I also I've learned a long time ago that you can't really um, expect too much. Uh, the more the more that you expect, the more that you get let down. So I just do what I need to do to achieve whatever goal I want to achieve and leave the outcome up to the gods. You know, whatever happens is going to happen. I can only control my thoughts and actions. So I want the Ali act to happen. So I'm doing whatever I can um, to make that happen. And whatever if if it ends up if it ends up uh, going through and getting adapted into 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 MMA, well then that's amazing. And if it doesn't, then I believe that it will be that all that hype and all that push will be an, just another catalyst for change. It will wake more people up, and it will bring us to our resolution in maybe a roundabout way, but it'll get us there. You know, and you mentioned about you, you met with the PFA, and obviously they they their goal is just to go you know protect uh, the the fighters in the UFC. And one of the things that you know, Lucas Millbrook, obviously he helped out uh, Nick Diaz in his situation with the Nevada Athletic Commission in terms of, of a a drug test situation that he had. What, what was your thoughts of PFA after talking to them? Uh, I had a really good experience talking to them. Actually, they seem really reasonable. They seem pretty genuine. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm pro PFA. I was kind of anti PFA before this, uh, before speaking with them, um, because I was told that uh, if the PFA came through, if we got a collective bargaining agreement, then that would pretty much just destroy all of the MMAFA's efforts to create an association. Um, but that's not really the case. That it's more like the if we get a collective bargaining agreement, then um, that that antitrust lawsuit uh, that the that some of the MMAFA is involved in right now um, may be hampered. That may be uh, that it may derail that effort. Uh, although I don't see this antitrust lawsuit as really doing too much in in getting equal pay and equal equal treatment for the fighters, I don't see that that the, the what this lawsuit will do, in my opinion, anyway, in my eyes. And I don't know everything. Uh, I'm not a lawyer by any means. I haven't been involved in this antitrust lawsuit from the get go. Randy Couture has. He's a great guy to talk to about it. But with my knowledge and and from where I'm sitting, what that's what that lawsuit will do was it will put some money into the pockets of a whole bunch of people that have been mistreated by the UFC. And I'm for that 100%. But I'm not willing to um, to just put all the effort into something that's going to uh, benefit those from the past in, and then kind of screw over those in the future. If, if I had to pick between those people that have been screwed over in the past by the UFC 
and those people that are going to be screwed over in the future, I will pick the future because who knows how long that's going to be. Who knows how many people that are going to be there, right? Whereas the past, we know, okay, there's this amount of people from this date to this date, from the date they filed to like the beginning of the UFC. And I don't know, they'll get like a $100 million lawsuit. They'll the $100 million in damages or whatever, they'll split it between the between all of them after the lawyers take their percent because I'm sure they're on contingency. Um, and then... And and then what? How does that help us moving forward? How does that help all of the people that are within the UFC right now that are being mistreated, that will be within the UFC in ten years being mistreated? Because they're locking it down now. They've got they've 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 gotten really good at locking it down. They've gotten they've created a system um, that keeps the fighters oppressed, that keeps them fighting amongst each other to get to get up a one step in the rankings to get that one step closer to that million dollar payday that they can then take and go to the bank and leave the sport whatever they do with it um, but there's so many people that never ever reach that pinnacle and that will never ever reach that pinnacle and the fact that those people have to are are bleeding in a cage and getting like maybe 15 percent of uh of the total gross like that's insane dude that's insane that the talent is only being paid 15 percent is absolutely insane and it's wrong and it needs to change so in my opinion i think that it would be good if ufc had a union not just an association if ufc had a union of fighters it would be good i i believe in it so much in fact that i put my name in the hat um, to be on the interim executive union board. Um, and that's not done yet, but it's going to be, I'm sure. I don't think there's a whole bunch of UFC fighters that are lining up to get this thing. Um, so I would like to be one of the influential people that are going to he- get in here and change this thing. That's why I tweeted that. That's why I said I'm willing to stick my neck out because I'm, I'm sticking my neck out. Like, I don't care. Come try to cut it off. I'm a ninja. I'll move. It was probably about uh, 45, 60 days ago I had Lucas Millbrook on this podcast. and Yeah, he told me. You know, and one of the things that he, you know, he indirectly, you know, told us was, you know, he, he said, he goes, look, I can't tell you a fighter's name who has potentially signed a, a union car because ultimately that's up to the fighter if they want to mention it. But, but the way I kind of word around it was because I remember in their introductory press conference they said, once the first card is signed, the clock starts, and I, I believe they have a year, um, you yeah. know, to get the the amount of of you know I think it's thirty percent that they need. And yeah. he said to me, he said, "Yeah, the call, it has started." Um, in terms of, and I'm not going to ask you whether you you signed the card or not, but is this something that you you're fielding a lot of calls from fighters because they know you're out open? And maybe they're using you as a way just to kind of get their questions answered? Uh, nobody's directly contacting me, really. Not really. I've talked to several of my friends just in passing, like, because it comes up during conversations or whatever. Like, I'll be hanging out with a couple guys and we'll talk about it. But that's about it. Um, but, yeah, the the clock has already started. And I'm obviously down to sign. I'm so down to sign that I got Lucas to send me cards right now. Uh, so they're in the mail. They're being mailed to me, and I'm going to get all the fighters in Canada to sign. All of my friends in Canada that are signed by the that are signed by the UFC. I'm getting everybody to sign, um, and it's completely confidential and anonymous, and nobody has to know that they sign. But I'm getting everybody to sign. Everybody, we got to get this thing done. You know, and obviously, and it's 
with the people behind the PFA, I mean, you like what they're doing, but you know, one of my, my the things I've and uh, you know, we had Rob Macy on, on this podcast as well, and I, and I told Rob this. I, I I think one of the issues with the MAFA is for that guy that is not in the UFC, Bellator, or uh, to a point, the World Series of Fighting. What what is being a member of the MMA FA do for that fighter? I mean, let, let's just say a guy that's in your gym that. You know, let's say he's got six, seven, um, you know, fights, and he's fighting in, in a local Canadian um, mixed martial arts promotion. What's what's it do to him to be a member of the MMAFA? Well, right now, nothing because there's not a whole bunch that uh, we, there's not a lot of power that the MMAFA has. But once we once the MMAFA does have a lot of power, they will all. Um, I believe they were trying to work on like uh, like some sort of licensing deal where um, they all the all of the fighters are a part of this thing, and then uh, they can they can branch out and start selling clothing or 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 uh, or selling their the rights to their logo to a couple companies so that they can use it or something something to that effect something that's going to generate income that will in turn um, in turn be be brought back to the fighters and used for things like benefits, for things like dental, medical, things like that. So I think that's one of the longer-term goals. But right now, being being a part of the MMA FA does um, little other than uh, take another step in the right direction, which I think if anybody actually loves this sport and isn't just in it for selfish reasons, if you love this sport, if you want to do uh, – do what's best for the sport and what's best for the future of the sport. It's a no-brainer that you need to you need to be a part of the MMAFA. We got this question that's kind of related to this, and this was uh, from at Ryan Thomas MMA saying, asking if you had received any fight offers since being outspoken against the UFC and related to that, have they spoke to you directly following your stance in public comments? Um, no, they well. They haven't offered me any fights because I haven't told them that, that I'm ready for competition yet. I'm still on injury, um, and I'm still injured, so I'm not able to compete yet. Once once uh, I'm cleared to compete again, then they would I'm sure they'd have me fighting very very quickly. Like uh, they would probably have, be, have they definitely would have put me on in Vancouver. They definitely would put me on that December 10th card in Toronto, um, but because I'm still injured. Uh, no, I haven't had any fight offers. And they also haven't spoken to me directly about it. I don't think they'd do that. Um, I, I, I don't think that their lawyers would advise them to do that. I don't think it's very smart mm-hmm. uh, for them to do that. But I doubt that I'm, I'm like the top of their list on favorite fighters right now. Uh, you I, think? I that, you know? But whatever, dude. Whatever, man. I'm not owned. I'm not a slave. I, I, they don't... I'm not surviving because of the UFC. I'm not surviving. I'm not my. I'm not eating because the UFC is paying me. I'm eating because I'm paying myself. Um, me and my partners built this business, and now my business supports me. Um, I'm self-made, so I'm self-owned. You know, we we've talked about, and obviously it's it's related to MMAFA, PFA unions association. You the the tipping points, and I think we go back to. Um, you know, well over a year ago when, when the Reebok deal was announced. And, and one of the things that, you know, and this is based on conversation I've had, is a sponsorship game, it's not what it once was. Even prior, no. to, even prior to the Reebok deal, it was not what it once was. You know, one of the things that I always pointed to was, 
you know, look at all the T-shirt MMA T-shirt companies that have have gone away. I mean, Tap Out's now in the in the pro professional wrestling business. And I know anytime that I go out and whether I'm covering an event or or maybe I'm going to a local show, you know, I look around and, and I just don't see the MMA apparel anymore being worn. You don't see. I mean, there, there's so many companies you can name that that have gone away over the past couple of years. But yeah. you know, it, but that's just because they suck. That's just because they make terrible clothing. Oh, they yeah, make was... ugly clothing, and nobody likes their designs. There's... I don't think that's just, that's because like, well, part of it is the UFC's tax was huge, and a lot of companies yeah. didn't really have the money to pay the tax, but they wanted to be big time, so they paid the hundred grand for the year and then went under. You know, because they they tried to sponsor three fighters and then barely had the money to pay them, and now they can't even make clo- they can't even make t-shirts. You know, oh, I remember. So, um... Dynamic Fasteners, who was not paying a tax, they came out and said, look, if the UFC came to us tomorrow and said, we got to pay a tax, we would be done. But, you know, the fact of they didn't have to pay that tax, they could keep sponsoring fires. But when that Reebok deal went into effect, how did it affect you personally? Uh, I lost about 75% of the money I was making in sponsorship immediately. Um, And that was even before the Reebok deal went through officially because I had one fight – in Vancouver, where it was pretty far away from this Reebok deal. It wasn't going to happen for like a year or something, so all of the companies were still on board. I didn't do crazy well. I made like, I don't know, 13, 14 grand. And, um, and then the next fight uh, was like a year later, 2015, and that was in Manila. Um, all the sponsors that were, that were around before – had, we're pulling out. Everybody was pulling out because they didn't want to pay the tax again because they knew that the Reebok deal was coming in. Mm-hmm. They're not going to pay a hundred grand for a year when they're only going to be around for six months, right? So, all, all the sponsors were already pulling out. I think I made like twenty eight hundred dollars, three thousand maybe on that fight, and then I had one fight under the Reebok deal, which was in Japan, and uh, obviously I made the Reebok rate of uh, twenty five hundred. Um, so. I took a I took a massive hit. See, I took the, a massive hit. The thing where I think they really screwed up on, and I've talked about this a lot. I think that you know, if you know, you want to bring in, you know, your own apparel company, fine. You know, it's their it's their company they can do that. I, I think the way they handled it was really bad. But I, I thought if they would have given you guys one spot, they said we're giving you this slot. You know, here on the side of the shorts, it's you know, it's this is the dimensions of it. I think that would have been the the best thing they could have done because at least they was that for you you could sit there and go okay I've got this you know five by five or whatever the spot may be and essentially you can sit there and go highest bidder come at me totally that would have been amazing and it would have shown that they cared a little bit at least but I don't think Reebok was down the thing about Reebok is that's not the deal that they wanted that's not the deal that UFC wanted UFC wanted Adidas and Nike. But Adidas and Nike turned them down, and then Reebok came at them with a super lowball offer, and they needed the corporate sponsorship because it wasn't even—it's not even about the sponsorship, dude. It was about the four billion dollars that they were trying to get. They needed corporate sponsorship to show these corporations that, yo, this sport is real. Uh, you can make NFL money with it. So uh, buy my company for four billion. If they didn't get the Reebok deal, they would have gotten way less money for the company. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a Reebok guy. I mean, I'm not. Who tra- is a Reebok guy? 
I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, to me, I mean, if, if I'm going to my closet right now and I'm looking of what uh, apparel companies I have, it's either Nike or Under Armour. Yeah, Under Armour would have been dope, but Under Armour's not not, not going to pay what they were asking. No, you know? no. I mean, you know, I mean, look, it's you know, it's unfortunate. Maybe if Under Armour was the the apparel, we'd probably be seeing George St. Pierre at UFC 206. Guaranteed. I, I mean, and I think that's a natural transition into the state of Canadian MMA. Obviously, uh, 206, right now, as we're talking, George St. Pierre's not going to be on that card. Doesn't look like yeah. he's going to be. And I, I think it's a, a massive failure to go to Toronto when GSP wants to fight and you're, you're not giving him a fight. And I, and I hate the negotiation tactics that Dana White used for several weeks saying, oh, I don't think George St. Pierre wants a fight when we all knew George wanted to fight. You know, yes. I, I look at a, guy, a, a fight like Cormier and, and Anthony Johnson, that fight should probably be like in New Orleans for a Cormier hometown yep. fight, not, not totally. Toronto. Now, look, exactly. a- adding, Nobody cares. adding Pettis – and uh, and Holloway, tremendous fight, great, great fight. fight. But nobody in, cares. But in Canada, what what for you as someone who lives up there? What is a state of Canadian MMA? Um, well, Canadian, it's kind of got a, it's on a resurgence right now. Like there's a lot of uh, like TKO is back, BFL is doing well, Hard Knocks is doing well. Uh, so outside the UFC. Um, guys are able to get fights again. Things are things are starting to roll again. We've got a couple of really great prospects now um, that are starting to get to that like six and zero, seven and zero mark where where they're starting to become established. You know, they're starting to become like names in the country. Um, so that's great, uh, but because they're not names yet, and none of the none of the none of the fighters within UFC like. Myself, Olivier Aubin, uh, Elias Theodoro, Chad Laprise, nobody has really achieved the level of success that creates superstardom. So they, the fans in Canada want to see – either they want to see a Canadian superstar and everybody will show up to that. George St. Pierre goes and, and fights. Everybody's going. Yeah. Um, or they want to see – uh, uh, um, like a, 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 a superstar of like the Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor type caliber, and John Jones. Unfortunately, he's gone. Um, but yeah, that's what the fans want. And if the fans don't get that, there, there's still going to be a lot of people that go, but it's not going to be the same type of numbers. You're not going to see the same type of numbers. Same thing with the Vancouver show that just happened. Like the attendance was all right. I guess I don't think they did all that well. I saw quite a few empty seats. Um, a big part of that was they didn't have Rory on the card, who would have been the biggest draw for sure. Uh, secondly, it would have been me, the biggest draw. So if you don't have your hometown guys on the card, you're not going to get the the big the big the big uh, the big numbers out. But then, without the hometown guys, they still didn't they still didn't like bring a megastar in, right? So Canadians. I don't know. We want the best, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we're spoiled. Yeah, we want you can't. The best. If you don't give us the best, we're, we're we don't care. Yeah, you can't blame fans for wanting to see that. I, mean, I, I guess let's take non UFC. So we're talking about you know some of the promotions you mentioned: TKO coming back, uh, Hard Knocks, uh, Battle uh, Battlefields. Right? Is it Battlefield Fight League? Is that yeah, right? Battlefield Fight League. Yeah. You know. How is it, you know, are the fans locally, are they still as high on MMA for those shows as they were, say, three, four years ago? 
Yeah, 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 they are. Yeah, they're still they're still coming out in droves for these shows, the local shows, because everybody wants to support their, support their friends. So if you if you put 10 local guys on a card, 10 local guys have a lot of friends, right? So yeah. even if, 10, if, if each guy brings 100 people, um, if, if 100 people show up for, for each fighter, you got 10 local guys, that's 1,000 people in your show immediately, right? So it's not it, – and then you got a whole bunch of other people that are coming around that. Um, so if you have local talent, it's people are people are showing up. Guaranteed, people are showing up. Um, so I don't think like there's been a lot of noise about uh, about MMA in Canada is dying off, and it's definitely dipped down since uh, since George left. It's not the same as it as it was, but the interest is still there, and I and it's starting to build again a little bit faster now because some of these some of these local stars um, are starting to really are starting to really take off. Like the the Eamon Sahabis, the Xavier Alouis, the Mandel Nellos, um, guys like Jamie Siraj, you know, they're starting to get into that upper echelon where okay, now they're holding titles, now they're six, seven and oh, they're like getting ready to go into the UFC and that's when there's a whole bunch of attention on it. Like people have seen them fight multiple times, they keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, and they get this massive following. Um, so that is that is huge. That is huge for Canadian MMA on the local scene. It's allowing the promoters to continue to run shows because they're able to pack the house, and in, which in turn allows um, the people that are outside of the UFC to to get actual fights. Because for a while there, it was it was crazy. Nobody could get fights. And of course, uh, that is Cajun Johnson. You're listening to the MMA Insiders Podcast. I am Jason Foy. This podcast is brought to you by Fight. Fight is a go-to app for MMA fans and practitioners, live pay-per-views and TV tapings, full-length matches and interviews, movies and documentaries. The Fight app is your wrestling, MMA, and boxing TV. Watch live pay-per-views and free programming on your own schedule. Download Fight free. Watch MMA, wrestling, and boxing live on your screen of choice, phone, tablet, or TV using the Fight app. Download Fight Free or go to fightfite.tv forward slash radio influence forward slash. And, you know, you're talking about the Canadian MMA scene. What's the amateur scene like up there? Because, you know, obviously everyone wants to pay attention to the pro scene, but how is the amateur scene in Canada? Um, We're seeing a bit of a a change and a shift here in the amateur scene like but locally here in vancouver battlefield's been around for a while now and they're doing good they, they always put on great promotions whether it's pro or amateur they'll usually have a bunch of amateurs on the card and then like four or five pros at the end um and and there's been a huge buzz here about it and and all the amateurs get a lot of shine so in vancouver the amateur game is is pretty high uh, throughout the rest of the country, it's not really the same. There's not quite as many amateur shows. Uh, the promotion quality on those shows is nowhere near as high. So um, they don't get as much shine, really. There's a little bit less interest. But now uh, now we've got, we've got IMAF, right, the International Mixed Martial Arts Federation, which is really changing the game in the amateurs. Now we have a nationals every single year here in Canada, as well as in the states and as, in numerous countries around the world. And the winners of the winners of that those nationals then then move on to the world championships in Las Vegas during International Fight Week at the convention center. Like the the game is changing, 
Um, we've got a number of these these world champions now moving on to bigger organizations and be and getting signed to to decent purses to and, and and fighting for titles very quickly, winning titles in these professional organizations with like two or three pro pro fights because they're like two three time world champion already. Um, I predict personally that this is the future. Um, that MMA is bound for the Olympics and. Uh, probably 2024, maybe 2028. Who knows how exactly how long it's going to take, but it will happen. And and I believe that the UFC is going to start pulling people in right from amateur. I believe that world titles are going to lead to UFC contracts within the next 10 years. You know, one of the things about the UFC, uh, obviously, we're seeing the you know a lot of longtime employees that have been there for a long time are exiting promotion. Joe Silva. Uh, Dave Schaller, who's, who's been a longtime PR man there, he's uh, now heading to the Philadelphia 76ers. And, uh, you know, over the last uh, week and a half, a, a lot of employees ha- have been let go of, of their job. And, you know, the expectations are there's going to be a reduction uh, in the amount of shows in, in 2017, hearing somewhere maybe in uh, to low to, to mid-30s as opposed to, you know, the mid-40s that they did here in 2016. And, and one of my fears about that, and I'll get your take on this, is, is I feel that a reduction of UFC shows ultimately is going to hurt fighters on the regional scene because there's going to be less spots available and the pay may not be as good because some of these regional promoters may realize that guys are going to be willing to take less money because they want fights. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. It's quite possible uh, that that happens. I never heard that they were going to reduce uh, the amount of shows I don't know if that's confirmed or not. It's but not, it's not case, officially, but it's. I would expect yeah, you're going to see an announcement here sense. pretty soon. Yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, well, that sucks for yeah, people I mean, the, in the UFC and out of the – I don't see with the roster that they have, with the number of fighters that they have, I don't see how they're going to be able to keep these guys active fighting two, three times a year with only 30 shows a year. It doesn't well, make I mean, sense. Like, you're going to have, like, 25 fights on a card? Like, what are you going to do here? Well, I you mean, you, I mean, you're going to – I mean, it sounds like you'd see a reduction in the fighters uh, – the amount of fighters under it. I mean, you know this, that as long as you're healthy, they got to be offering you fights, what's every 90 days? Um, yeah, three fights a year. You know, so, I mean, it's it's one of those things of it's, and I've used this analogy a lot, I think in terms of the business side of MMA, it's such an interesting time, and I think a lot of it is because it's a lot of uncertainty. You know, you look yeah. at you know, a little bit of uncertainty when, when it comes to uh, the, the new ownership of the UFC. I think you look at the uncertainty of the World Series of Fighting uh, with the lawsuits that, that are out there about that and some of the regional shows uh, that you look at as well and say, what you know, you know, are are these shows that are definitely going to be around long term? I mean, I, I like what uh, you know the merger with RFA and Legacy here in the states. I think that's going to be uh, a great a great promotion for fighters to go to. But um, it, it's uncertainty. I mean, and I got to imagine for you as a fighter, there, there's got to be some of those situations you look at and you're like, oh man, I, I don't know how this is going to shake out. Yeah, I really don't know how that's going to shake out, especially the reduction in the amount of shows. That's that's huge. That means they're going to have to reduce their roster. Who knows? Maybe they'll cut me. I have no idea. Who knows what will happen? Yeah, but, um, but that's where a union or association would, would clearly come in to you know, help you guys out. Yes, definitely. But we definitely don't have a union right now. Um, and it sounds like they're going to be making these changes relatively soon as they just they cut, like, I don't know, half their staff right now. So uh, if, if, if they're going to cut the, ha- the staff, the fighters are pretty close behind, right? So... 
I don't know if we'll have a union in place uh, in order to deal with these type of changes in any decent time frame. How much do you pay attention to the everyday news in MMA? Uh, I go in and out. I work. My whole life is phasing pretty much. I'll get really into something and dedicate a lot of my time to focusing on that. And then, um, and then I'll focus on something else and dedicate my time to that for a period of time. So it depends on when you're asking me right now. Um, I'm so busy with the gym and, and, and making everything run smoothly that, that I just, I check my, um, I, I check Twitter, uh, like once a day to see what's going on. Uh, I'm in this, uh, this big group chat, uh, on WhatsApp with like all the MMA FA guys. I don't know. We've got like 250 fighters in there. Um, so I'm in that, I get some updates there. I'm on Facebook. I get some updates there, but I'm not actively searching things out and, and researching and, and trying to find out what's really going on. Uh, not at this point anyway, although, uh, before I started the gym, I was doing a lot of that. What do you do for fun? What to get your mind off of, you know, operating the gym and, and everything. I mean, what's, what's, uh, you got a Friday or Saturday night off, you know, you don't have to do anything. What's, what's, is it, uh, do you got a hobby like a video, you like playing video games or just maybe hanging out with your friends and family? Yeah, I just like, I don't do a lot really. Um, I don't play video games for sure. I've never played, I haven't played a video game since like Sega Genesis. Uh, that's a long time but, ago. Yeah, it's quite some time. <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I hang out with my friends, my family, chill out, try to rest and sleep a little bit because it's pretty tiring doing what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I cook a lot. I read. That's about the extent of it. Uh, I would love to get back into music again. I haven't, I haven't been able to, uh, to record a song in a long time. Um, or even write a song really in a long time. So I would love to get back into that again, but there's just a lot going on right now with the gym and with my own training and rehab and family and everything. So I'm doing what I can right now, but in the future, once the gym's operating a little bit more smoothly and, and, uh, and I'm able to take a little bit of a step back and get some other people teaching classes, then, then I'll have more time to, for extracurricular activities and I'll, I'll get back to the music. I'll I'll get back into nature. I love going to nature, man. I really, really love uh, love the forest. So I try to spend as much time in the forest as possible. <laughs> Lately, it's been very little time, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, there's lots of things I like to do. But right now, I just got to do what I have to do, which I do like as well. Um, which is which is set this gym up and make it world class. What's the go-to uh, food item to cook? Is there one thing that you say, if I'm looking to have some good uh, food tonight, is there a go-to dish? I'm Again, I'm like a phases of everything, right? So right now it's, it's winter. Well, getting to be winter, late fall, winter. So I love cooking like chilies and stews and, uh, and curries and, and like comfort food, warmth, you know. Um, in the summer though, I'm like barbecue fanatic. I barbecue constantly. Um, so yeah, it really, really depends on the season, man. Right now, right now though, it's like comfort food. Um, uh, my favorite meal of all time to cook probably is like Thanksgiving slash Christmas dinner type thing, like turkey dinner, stuffing, all that kind of stuff. That's my favorite. Living in Florida, we really don't know what winter is. Yeah. Yes, you definitely don't. I'm sure <laughs> if I lived in Florida, I would just barbecue all day, every day. 
that's all I would do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I was that's out. The only way I would eat it was barbecue. That's it. Yeah, last weekend uh, I was out. Uh, the Bucks. We were we were playing out in uh, San Francisco, so we were staying out in the San Jose area. And we went on that Saturday night. We went to an outdoor concert, and it, it got a little chilly. I, I did not dress appropriately towards the end of that concert. I was pretty cold. Now, you know, it was probably like in the forties or forty-five ish. You probably think like that's still shorts weather. I don't even know. I don't know the conversion to stuff from Celsius to Fahrenheit all that well. So it's cold. Forty for, is hot for, as in Celsius. Well, for Florida, uh, you know, it, it's cold. You know, for okay. for a Floridian, that's cold. You know, give me my, gotcha. you know. Sunny, seventy degrees. You know, shorts, okay. flip flops, t-shirt. Okay, I'm good to go. Okay, okay. You know that that's gotcha. that's my ideal. Um, you know, final thing to mention here, uh, USADA. Yep. Uh, they they've come in. I mentioned uh, about J- uh, Jake uh, Ellenberger's tweet where I uh, got woke up by, at five forty five in the morning, and and I've heard these stories before. Um, have you have you? I mean, obviously you've been on the sidelines. Has USADA ever come to, uh, to visit you? One time, yeah, they've come once. A uh, really weird time. They came like I don't know a week, a week and a half after surgery, right? So I'm like laid up in my house. They came at a reasonable time though. They came at 8 p.m. Um, okay. But yeah, like I don't know why you're gonna drug test the guy right after surgery. Like I was stoned as you know, <laughs> like dude, they have me on all these painkillers. I'm all loopy. <laughs> like come in, like oh yeah, we're gonna drug test you. I'm like okay, well I'm on this, 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 this. You know, like I don't know what you're trying to test for. I'm definitely not on steroids. Like the week after surgery, why are you even testing me? Uh, but yeah, they came in, they did their drug test. I passed everything. I told them everything I was on, which is all legal outside of competition anyway. And um, and yeah, it's good to go. But but yeah, they they tested me once. They haven't tested me since. Uh, I I would expect them they'll probably test me once I get like okay, I'm back to competition. They'll probably mm-hmm. show up or something. But last last year or so, no nothing. You know, we we've seen um, several cases where it's been a tainted supplement defense. Uh, no, we John Jones is going through it right now. Yoel Romero is going through it. Uh, Tim Means has gone through it. When when you're, you know, looking at taking a supplement, and now in in where we're at with Usada, w- would that be a a phone conversation that you'd pick up? Maybe it's a call Jeff Nowitzki, or maybe it's a call somebody at Usada and say, "Look, I picked up this supplement. Is it okay? Is that is that a phone call you would make?" Um, most of my, the, the supplements that I've, that I use, well, really there, I use very, very few supplements. Um, but they're all, uh, they're all already been okayed. Uh, like, um, I know everything that's in them for one, for one thing I work with the company I work with is called the lead organic nutrition. And, uh, and I've known these guys since before they, they started, you know, I've worked with them from the ground up. So, I know their process. I know everything that's in it, and I know it's illegal. It's, I know it's all legal. It's all organic. It's all legal. It's all real. There's no fillers. There's no garbage. There's no steroids. There's no nothing. So, um, so I don't really have to make that call because I know it's good, you know. But there's, uh, if it was like, okay, so yeah, I'm gonna go pick up some random su- supplement from GNC or something like that, and read the back, and there's a whole bunch of words that I can't pronounce, and. Uh, definitely, I would take a picture of it, send it off to to USADA, and 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 make sure it was good before I, before I put it in my body. Because I'm not going to be that guy that pops and has to say, "Oh, tainted supplement." You know, nobody believes you. Even if you get vindicated, like nobody believes you. It's like if you get like uh, if some chick says you raped her, like it does it doesn't matter if you did or you didn't. As soon as they say that, everybody thinks you're a rapist, right? As soon as they say, "Oh, he popped." 
regardless as if you were taking steroids or you weren't taking steroids, for the rest of your life, you're a juice head, right? So, um, yeah, I'd be real careful with that. One of the things I have a problem with is I don't like how the UFC will release these statements when a fighter is going is you know because Usada says that they they pop for a banned substance. I, I really, I, you know, part of me says, hey, it's great that there's full disclosure out there, but then there's part of me that says you should be allowed to go through kind of your process of, you know, if you say I, I didn't take this and going through that, is that one of the problems you, you as a fighter that you kind of sit back and look at and go, why is there such a rush to issue the statement to the media? Yeah, I don't know. It's like they want, they just want like the hits or something. It's crazy. I don't know. I don't know why they do that. You think they would give the fighters a time to like protect themselves and, and fight for their own. Like, okay, say I say, I didn't pop. It was a tainted supplement. And there's an arbitration process that we're going through. Okay, let's deal with this arbitration process. Let's find out if I'm guilty or I'm innocent. If I'm found guilty, okay, go tell everybody. But if I'm innocent, then why is there a need to tell anybody anything, right? I think I think I don't I don't believe that it should be just full disclosure right off the t- right off the top as soon as the guy pops. I don't believe in that. I also don't believe that all of these things um, are put into place without our acknowledgement like nobody even asks us if this is what we want is just forced mm-hmm. upon us like we definitely need a collective a collective body in which we can we can bargain with these things like okay yeah. here's what we want to do we want to put in this usada thing we're going to test you all the time we're going to fo- we'll follow you around everywhere you have to tell us where you are 24 hours a day well okay we be okay with the testing but we will may want a different way of going about it right so i think these things need to be addressed and the only way to really do that is a union yeah or, the, or an association or the, both ideally the whereabouts policy is a thing that i just i remember having a conversation with the manager and he was telling me where uh one of his fighters was going to go you know like a, like on a friday he said hey we're going to go here on the weekend he goes but do i need to call you sod and the manager goes Look, USADA can't tell you where to go and you can't go. He goes, if you're going to go on vacation, you go on vacation. I mean, that's, that's you know, A, the fact that this was just thrown on you guys and it was like you had no choice. It was just thrown on you. And, and you know, and the other thing is the whereabouts policy. I'm like, if you want to sit there and you want to go wherever you want to go to weekend, you shouldn't have to pop onto an app and tell USADA where you're going. Well, I don't, like, they make it really easy for one thing. Like, it's really not difficult to go and update your thing. Okay, so if you want to go for a, away for a weekend, just update it. It's really like, okay, it'll take 10 minutes. I don't mind that. I don't care about that. The only issue I would have is if they're saying, like, oh, no, you can't go there because we don't have any reps there, which isn't the case. They have reps anywhere. They said, go anywhere. It's up to us to find you. Just tell us around kind of where you're going to be, and we will find you if we need to find you. I don't have a problem with the, with that whole thing, like, I have a bit of a problem because, I don't know, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist and everything. I don't like telling anything on the internet where I'm going to be. I don't like giving out my location to things. But um, if it's going to stop people from doing steroids, if, I'm gonna, if, I, if I won't ever have to fight another guy on steroids, then I'm okay with it. But I would just like to be notified. I would like to, be, I would like to have a voice at the table, if that's all. Were there times throughout your career where you felt you were fighting someone who might be on PEDs? 
Oh, yeah, like every I mean, I'm not saying name any names, but... It, no, it could, no, like, because, because I know... The vast it, majority of my fights have been against people using steroids. I just know, and in, in throughout my years of covering the sport, and a lot of guys have said to me, they said, I can look at guys in a gym, and you pretty much know whether they might be on something or not on something. Kind of. Um, there's been a lot of guys that I've known over the years that I'm like, whoa, look at that dude. He's totally on steroids, and the guy's completely clean. And then there's other guys that I would look at and be like, yeah, there's no way that fat dude's on steroids. That guy's cranked right out. You know, so you, looks aren't always a great telltale. Like, sometimes they'll give you a clue if you really know in the ins and outs, but um, there's been numerous times that I thought a guy was on steroids and he wasn't on steroids. Uh, that being said, the majority of the guys that I did fight, especially outside the UFC, uh, there's a lot of them that were on steroids, and just because I know who they are, I know their team, I know their camp, and I know that they're on steroids, right? Um, yeah. But, but yeah, you can't always just look at a guy and know that he's on steroids. There's a lot of really, really shredded dudes, like Nordin Taleb, for for instance. Um, when I first met this guy, I'm like, guaranteed that guy's on crank because he looks like Spider-Man 24 hours a day, uh, seven, seven days a week, 365 days a year. His, she's shredded. All the time. And I get super shredded in fight camp. But when I'm not in fight camp, I'm not crazy shredded. I still have like a four or five pack, but I'm not like like Spider-Man shredded. This guy's always shredded. I was like, for sure he's juicing. But I got really, really close to Nordin. We spent a lot of time together. We lived together for the Ultimate Fighter. He was tested there multiple times. Like, there's no way that he's on steroids. There's no way. Yeah, I've always so said you can't, it. you can't always judge a book, you know? Yeah, I've always said if you uh, if you really wanted to find out about what this this uh, sports about, just t- just test every fighter on regional shows, and I think that would be a, a good indication. I mean, I know uh, here in the state of Florida, the the Florida boxing statutes only say that they only have to test fighters that are in title fights, and all they do is they test them via urine. Which I've always said, if you're really going to catch people, you got to do blood too. But I also yeah. understand why. Uh, a day of the fight or even after the fight, you may not want your blood taken for, for a drug test. But, uh, you know, that's if you really tested the regional scene, I, I think you would see a ton of guys get popped. Oh, all the time. There's lots and lots of guys that think that's the answer, right? They don't think – they don't want to do technique. They don't want to learn technique. They don't think my, that fighting's about your brain. They just think it's like, oh, I just be tough, get angry. Lift lots of weights and do steroids. I'll be good, you know. So you see that so much at the low level, especially the regional level. Um, I would say more people are doing steroids at a regional level than at an international level. Final thing, Cajun, and, and man, I really do appreciate you taking this time. You mentioned about being on the Ultimate Fighter. If you could do it all over again, would you still do the Ultimate Fighter? Definitely. That's though. That was the, if I didn't do the Ultimate Fighter. I would have already been retired because I wouldn't have been able to make it to the UFC. If I wasn't going to make it to the UFC, I was going to retire. So, um, yeah, I, I like I would nobody was even able to like nobody would fight me when I was outside the UFC because I had so many fights, but I still wasn't signed. I was super dangerous, but but it wasn't like I wasn't a UFC vet, so you're not going to get all that much by beating me. So the only the only the only answer really in that time was the ultimate fighter. I needed to get in. My record wasn't good enough to just get into the UFC. So I needed to get, go through the ultimate fighter to get in. And if I didn't get in, then I wouldn't have got any fights because nobody outside the UFC wants to fight me. So I would have just retired. Uh, it was necessary for me. And in, in the, that stage in, stage in my career, it was extremely necessary and I'm grateful for it. 
And, of course, uh, the Ultimate Fire. It's amazing. Season 24 is going on right wow. now. Kind of crazy. Title title fights on the line. The winner of uh, the season is going to fight Demetrius Johnson. To me, Demetrius, I don't know how you feel about this. I, I think Demetrius Johnson may be the best pound for pound fighter in the world. Guaranteed he is. There's no, there's no question that he's, he's, he's the best pound for pound fighter in the world. That being said, Bibiano Fernandez whoops his ass on the daily every time they train. But. Oh, I would, uh, man, I, w- I would love to see Bibiano fight in the U.S. I mean, but hey, oh, God bless yes. him for getting the money he's getting out of one FC. Exactly. Know? Why would he? You know, he's fighting lesser opponents for more money and no headache and hassle and media obligations and shit talking. Like, he's killing the game, dude. Ben Askren, another example of that, making a ton of money fighting over one FC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He, Although I'm pretty sure he actually wants the UFC, whereas Bibby doesn't. Like, the, the UFC's offered offered Bibby number, numerous times to, to fight for them, and he just keeps turning them down because they just won't pay enough. Yeah, whereas I mean, Ben Askren would probably take the pay cut, but they don't want him. Well, <laughs> they, you know, it depends on who you talk to. Some people say they did make an offer, but it was such a low ball offer. I mean, uh, I, look, yeah. I would, lo- I would love to that see Ben sense. Askren, you know, fight against, um, you know, that, you know, a, a Tyron Woodley or, or any of those top totally. guys. I mean, totally. you know, that I think he should fight Rory and Bellator. The Bellator and One FC should do a crossover with head kicks and uh, get Rory to fight Ben Askren. That would yeah. be amazing. I mean, there, there's so many fights you think of, of different promotions. You're like, man, what if this guy fought here? This guy fought there. I know. You know, fights that, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, you think about how long it took us to get Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Um, yeah. You know, we never saw GSP Anderson Silva. You know, the, the fights yeah. that fans are would be willing to pay a bunch of money to see. We, we all want to see them. And, uh, yeah. But uh, this, this last hour has been great, Cajun. I really appreciate it. Uh, let everyone know where they can follow you on social media. And if anybody's up in, uh, up in the area where you uh, have your gym at, let them know where they can come and train. Yeah, so the gym is uh, is in Burnaby, BC, uh, in Greater Vancouver, uh, 7840 Edmond Street. And you can follow the gym on Twitter at TriStar underscore Van City, uh, on Instagram at TriStar underscore Vancouver, and on Facebook at TriStar Gym Vancouver. You can follow me personally on Twitter at I am Ragin. You can follow me on Instagram at the Ragin one T H A R A G I N, and then the number one. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. I'm not super active on it though. You can follow me at, at Snapchat on Snapchat as well at Kajan J, and on Periscope at I am Ragin, just like Twitter. And of course, this is the MMA Insiders podcast, which you hear weekly on RadioInfluence.com. Also available iTunes. Stitcher, just uh, search the MMA Insiders, and while you're there, leave a review. I would appreciate that. Be uh, follow me on Twitter at Jason underscore Floyd. I'll be announcing my next guest co-host here in the next couple of days. That's gonna wrap it up for the MMA Insiders podcast, which you hear every week on RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy, and former Bellator matchmaker Sam Kaplan. Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with Pants and Roller Girl, or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill will make you think. When it comes to what you want, Radio Influence has you covered. 
Find our programming on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>